Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. The NBA trade deadline is inside of a month away, and we get into all of it with former Atlanta Hawks GM Wes Wilcox and ESPN's front office insider Bobby Marks. Let's go. Welcome into Wes Wilcox and Bobby Marks. Wes, of course, the former general manager of the Atlanta Hawks and assistant GM in Cleveland, and Bobby, our front office insider at ESPN and former Brooklyn Nets, New Jersey Nets executive. Guys, how are you today? Doing great. Yeah, well, we're just doing great. Bobby, great to be with you. You too, Wes. Well, we are inside of a month now to the trade deadline, and this time of year, guys, the kind of calls that are going back and forth, oh, there's a few teams out there who I think would like to do some things Sooner than later, I think Orlando would like to get some backcourt help, and I'm not sure that they're dying to wait another month to do it. They they may have to, or maybe they don't do anything. But for the most part, right, guys, this, there's a lot of feeling out going on right now and a lot of just getting a sense of where other teams' heads are, what they're looking for, who they're willing to move, who they like on your team, and then starting to you know, kind of put all that on your board in your war rooms. That's kind of what's going on here still a little less than a month out from the February 7th deadline. Yeah, well, I would say that's exactly what usually happens. And, you know, the trade deadline, as we all know, is is typically triggered by the best potentially available players. And so the best players who might be available, the teams who may have the asset pool to be able to go get one of those players is trying to line up whatever that option may look like, however much that may cost. But then there's the teams that, you know, are maybe not in that marketplace as either sellers or buyers that may be doing deals right away like we just saw in Chicago. And, and you know, Orlando, as you kind of allude to, maybe one of those teams that might be able to do something at a lower level sooner. And the other thing, too, us as you know, is that you look at it and if a deal comes about now, is it something that we can wait until February 7th, or is this going to be the best available that we're going to uh, get? And you could say that for the Justin Holiday trade with Chicago and Memphis, where um, you know Chicago gets two second-round picks back from, and, and that would probably have been what they would have been able to. They maybe even got less back at the deadline. And, and the hard part, you know, gauging the market right now is, is that um, there's not as many sellers. Uh, I think the standings will shake out a little bit, especially out in the West when we get into, um, when we get closer to February 7th and a little bit even in, in the East where, you know, teams have Orlando circled on their board. You know, is Terrence Ross going to be a, a guy made available or can you get Terrence Ross as a free agent? You know, how much do you need to give up to get him um, right now? And, and, and that's why you kind of see things a little bit in a, in a holding pattern where, you know, leading up to the next four weeks. You mentioned that the standings, and especially in the West, they're going to shake out. And teams who think they're buyers right now may be sellers by February 1 or sooner or closer to 7th. They, they may have a different perspective on where they are. Obviously, New Orleans is the most – they're going to be the most watched team. And I think they have the most complicated situation because they want to try to do everything they can to put some player – you know, a, another player or whatever they can cobble together – around Anthony Davis, but they have to be realistic, too, about giving up. Are they going to give up a first-round pick? Are they going to give up you know, one of their core guys? Are they going to take back future money when they may feel like they've lost a lot of ground on keeping Anthony Davis long-term? I, I think they have the most difficult 
decisions to make about how they proceed because they don't have a lot of assets to move. They've traded picks already uh, in the last couple of years. They don't have a really an influx of young players that they're developing that they have on you know cheap rookie contracts. Would you guys say that they're in the most complicated position of, of anybody? Yeah, there's well, there's no doubt. And, and going back to to your first question, the New Orleans example is is a really good one because typically this time of year, you know, we know who everybody likes on each of our teams. We've expressed that to the teams that we're talking to, and they've expressed that to you know the teams that we're with. And you have a general idea of what the goals are of everybody. But New Orleans is a perfect example that you don't know if they're really a buyer or a seller. Talking to people around the league right now. They're absolutely a buyer. And knowing Dell Demps' history, I think they've traded something like six of eight first-round picks over, over the last eight years or so. And so it's, it's very likely you could see like a, a first-round pick in this year's draft plus, you know, Solomon Hill or something like that to make money work, even though Solomon has a second year on the contract, and that's a whole other conversation. But you, you could see uh, New Orleans go from buyer right now to maybe seller. And then when you look at their record, you know, they jump out to a 10 and 2 start. They're 10 and 15 in their last 25 games. But most recently, they're 5 and 2, and they just got Miritich back. And we know they played great with Miritich. So New Orleans is a really unique scenario. But we could also add Memphis to that one as a 12 and 5 start and 7 and 17 cents and really 3 and 11 in their last 14. And then you got teams in the, in the, uh, the East like Detroit and Washington who are also in these similar kind of scenarios. So th- there's there's still a lot to be worked through, you know, with some of these bigger teams, these bigger names, uh, as we, you know, with less than a month left to the deadline. And I look at New Orleans with three cracks to try to keep Anthony Davis, either at the deadline coming up here, and as we as you mentioned, they've traded, you know, last two years with Cousins and, and Mirtich. You have, you know, what are your, what's your asset pool besides a first round pick? And you take Davis and Drew Holiday kind of off the board and it, it's really limited. And, and, uh, and Wes, I saw Solomon Hill in Cleveland over the weekend when, when New Orleans was there. And I, and I'm constantly reminded that it's kind of the golden rule is, you know, when a team declines your rookie option, you know, usually you don't get a four year, $48 million <laughs> contract the next year. And it, and it really is the, it's the kind of the, the golden rule there. Uh, I look at the draft for New Orleans, you know, what can you do um, in late June? And then really the last crack would be free agency. And, you know, they're in a kind of a unique position where they can try to pitch Davis on, you know, cap space and picking a free agent to come with him. And I don't know how realistic that's going to be. But, yeah, there you look at Sacramento, I think, is intriguing. Woj, you talked about um, Canner for uh, possibly Zach Randolph. You know, their team, that's two two games out of the playoffs as of Friday, they've got, you know, $11 million in cap space. They've got a ton of expiring contracts. They're a good young team, and they don't have their own first-round pick. So there's no incentive to drop further. Um, and they haven't made the playoffs in, what, 12 or 13 years. There's no incentive to, to fall back in the standings here. You know, Brooklyn's fascinating, too, because, you know, they're a team that's sitting in seven. They're banking on preserving cap space for this summer. We all know that. But they've got a lot of expiring contracts when you look at, Kenneth Fareed and Jared Dudley, Damari Carroll, Ed Davis, players like that. And is there a deal out there that Sean Marks would be willing to do that helps them improve the product now, you know, that, but you're losing cap space next summer. So, um, I think there's a, there's a lot of different teams like that. I think teams are kind of still in that feel out process. Um, but we'll learn a lot more in the next couple of weeks. And Brooklyn, I mean, if they want to look at it this way, 
their biggest trade deadline acquisition may be just getting Karis Levert back. And he was playing at such a high level when he got injured. And, you know, the initial thought was he's out for the season and Brooklyn will just, you know, they'll just end up in the lottery and chase, you know, a high draft pick. And they went on that losing streak. And then they, the way that group pulled itself back together, Kenny Atkinson kind of reined that group in. D'Angelo Russell's playing the best basketball of his career over the last month, just efficient and, and really turning into a true playmaker. He's cut down on mistakes and, and you're seeing him and then, you know, go up and down their roster and all of a sudden, like they're a legitimate playoff team. Nobody wants to play them night in, night out. They play together. They play hard and they bought themselves some time. Like they don't have to rush Levert back. They stabilized. And I tell you what, Kenny Atkinson is to me a coach of the year candidate in the league. Well, that's so great for you to hear. You know, Kenny's a, a great friend. Um, he's done a fantastic job in Brooklyn, as has Sean Marks. I think you hit it on the head. And I would add this. Brooklyn has two first-round picks in this draft because of the Kenneth Free trade they did. They have, you know, Denver's first-round pick. This 2019 draft, it's still relatively early, you know, in the draft process. But in general, this 2019 draft is down relative to the most recent drafts we've had. So when you have a team like Brooklyn with, you know, a late first-round pick, they still have their own pick, and they have the expiring contracts Bobby laid out, they could absolutely be a player that could maybe look to add to their team in a way that helps them kind of moving forward. And that's why you would probably want to find a value contract for Brooklyn if they're going to move a pick, probably multiple years. That also preserves their cap space so they can, you know, be a, be a player as well in the future. This has just been a terrific job. It's been a terrific story. And I think they're like 13 and four or something like that in their last couple games. So this has been a really fun one to watch. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone not just the wealthy. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time and do it with true confidence. There's no cost or commission fees. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. Trade stocks and keep all of your profits. They have easy-to-understand charts and market data. Place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. I downloaded the app to my phone and it is really, really easy to navigate. Plus, the Robinhood web platform also lets you view stock collections and analyst ratings of buy, hold, sell for every stock. You can learn how to invest as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks and track favorite companies with your personalized news feed, and you can have custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Right now, Robinhood is giving my listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Go sign up at wogepodcast.robinhood.com. That's wogepodcast.robinhood.com. You know, you guys mentioned sort of those mid-market teams who are fighting the idea of going in to a rebuild, and they're out of the playoffs now. They would like to get back in the playoff picture and in the West, right? The Pelicans, the Grizzlies. And I think the pressure, and you went through this in Atlanta, West, where you're in that place. Now, you guys were in the playoffs. You weren't fighting. You were in the East, and you were a team that was in, 
you thought maybe you'd gone as far as you could go with the group you had and it was time to, to maybe turn it over. And they've since done that since you, you've left, which is what I think you wanted to do in your last year or two there. But Memphis and New Orleans are markets where I think the idea of a rebuild and when you think of the fan bases and attendance and all the things that go into it, they're really fighting the idea. Memphis, they want to just keep going down that Gasol, Conley Road. Jaron Jackson's been a revelation for them. That's the perfect scenario, right? You, you're in the playoffs for, what, eight or nine straight years like they were. You fall out one year, you get a high lottery pick, and you get a difference maker in Jaron Jackson now that you're going forward with. That's the idea of getting in the lottery, and they just want to get right back out of it. But I think there's so much pressure on those organizations in those markets to have a team that's in the playoffs. And then, of course, to put enough around them that Marcus Saul wants to stay or, you know, obviously on a much higher scale that, that Davis wants to stay. Yeah, and you can add probably Detroit to that group, Orlando and Washington even, even though Orlando's kind of been going through a rebuild. You know, they want to, they clearly want to get out of it. And and these are all really good questions, and it's also okay for every organization because this is a natural evolution of a team. You talked about our team in Atlanta. In the year before 2016, you know, obviously we know the influx of the new national TV deal, and that changed all the contracts, and that just changed the economics. And if you weren't going to adjust your team-building strategy to the new economic landscape in the NBA, you probably weren't going to be successful. We were successful because we were able to identify a bunch of value contracts, put them together. This was led by Danny Ferry, who started this with the Joe Johnson trade that, you know, was kind of done by Billy and Danny um, that we were texting about before this. But then that was set up to take advantage of the pre-spike money. Well, now you look at the current financial landscape for some of these teams, and what happens is, the team, it's great for a team to be competitive until the point you have to pay the team, and then the team gets expensive. And all these teams that, you, that we've talked about, they're pretty much at that point where they are you know, right up against the tax, in the tax, or potentially in the future going to look to be in the tax. And so the question then becomes, can you afford to rebuild? And that's a big question because there's, there's significant unknowns. On the flip side, there's a really fair question to ask is, can you afford to not rebuild? Because all you got to get is one great player, like you mentioned, in, in Memphis, and you might have a chance. Now, he's young, and he's, he, it's going to take a couple years. But look what Dallas has done with Luka Doncic. Like, they clearly have a great path forward because Luka is just a terrific young player. So it's a really fair question. They're huge organizational decisions. But I would just kind of position that if you rebuild correctly, like Philly has done, like Oklahoma City has done, it sets every organization up for great success long-term in the future. And, Wes, I think what, what it shows, too, is how important it is to hit on some of these draft picks. I mean, if you are – I mean, you're looking up at the standings today, and, and you got Denver sitting at one, and how they've been able to build that team through the draft with Jokic and Murray and Gary Harris. You know, they made the Will Barton trade, um, you know, and then added some veterans with, you know, um, Malik Peasley too. They made the, uh, they signed Millsap. But if you're, if you're sitting there and you're looking at, you know, New Orleans who hasn't, you know, drafted great or have traded picks, you know, we, we talked about Memphis with, you know, besides Jaron Jackson, you know, now you start to see the fruition of, 
Dallas with Doncic that, hey, if we hit on some of these draft picks and build a good foundation, it gives us kind of a buffer until, you know, you have them on a rookie contract for four years until we have to pay them. And on the flip side, you look at a team like Detroit. You know, you have to go out and, and make high-risk trades like the Blake Griffin trade. You know, I think if, if you ask yourself right now, and I think you'd probably get a split decision, would you trade Tobias Harris and Shea Gilgis-Alexander for Blake Griffin right now? And, and that's probably a, a good internal debate, but I understood why Detroit had to do it because you had missed out on some of your, your draft picks. But I just think it shows you the priority that you, uh, you know, that you need to put when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to the draft. And you mentioned, you know, you, when you talk about even Dallas, Dallas has missed on a lot of picks. Now they haven't, they've traded picks too in previous years, but Dallas had missed on a lot of picks for a while. And what ends up happening, it seems, now, now they hit it with Doncic in a big way, and he's going to maybe ultimately make up for a lot of that. But what happens, right, guys, when you don't hit on your picks and you don't have, you know, players on you know rookie contracts, then 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 you resign and do your extension with, you end up giving max deals to Wes Matthews, you end up giving a max deal to Chandler Parsons, and you know even Harrison Barnes. You end up having to over you have space, but you're you're overpaying for that second or even third tier guy, and. It just messes up your whole structure. It's hard to build a team that way. And, and I think, you know, Detroit, right? If they do Donovan Mitchell in the draft, like, and listen, a lot of people missed on Donovan Mitchell. They, they weren't the only one. So, you know, Stanley Johnson hasn't worked out for a, you know, player in the top 10. And so you pay a price for that. You end up overpaying elsewhere on your roster and you have a, end up having a pretty imbalanced payroll. Well, you know what it also does too, Woj, is that you, you have to rely on the minimums, minimum players so much. Um, and every year, because you'll have you know some type of tax restrictions or roster restrictions, is that your look your your bake your your free agency doesn't start until late July, you know, um, until the the market has really dried up. And if you you sign four minimums and one hits, you know, that's probably a pretty good summer. And that's that's kind of the continual pattern that you have every summer. Wes, you mentioned that Joe Johnson trade in Atlanta. You you were there with Danny Ferry and Bobby was in with the Nets with uh, Billy King at the time. And it sort of – it marked the end of, the, of an era of a certain kind of trade. I think there was one – I think the – which was the pick swap. They had the pick swaps in that deal and then the Nets did – they had the pick swaps with Boston. And, and when your team is – when all of a sudden you become bad and the other team's good, it's really like giving up another first-round pick. We don't see them anymore – um, I think you guys kind of, I think that, that deal was one of the deals that kind of closed the door. People don't want to do those anymore. Well, that, yeah, it, uh, you know, it really became a function of how could you get around the Stepien rule? You know, how, how could you trade multiple picks in a row, right, Bobby? I mean, I think that was the, you guys, you know, you had to skip a year to trade picks. And so the way to maybe make a deal work was to add a swap. And they've since now allow you to protect your swaps, which I think has killed you know, kind of killed the swap altogether. So we, we might have been set up to to be killed, but now with the new change in the rules and the ability to you know protect those swaps, it's uh, they're yeah. they're probably dead going forward. Yeah, explain what a I think most people know, but what explain what a pick swap is. So you just you know agree that you know in a given year. So let's just say it was 2020 that you know your team could swap picks with Bobby's team upon our choosing. So, you know, if we finished with the third, you know, the best record in the NBA, the most extreme example, and Bobby's team had the 30th 
record in the NBA, then you, in theory, could tr- could swap picks where you know we would have the best record in the NBA and have the ability to to get Bobby's pick, which would be one of the draft or be slotted for one of the draft, and and Bobby would then you know lose the first pick and they would be picking thirtieth. I remember one of the years with the Celtic Nets pick swap. There was a date. I think there was a date. Isn't there a date where you have to say yeah, we're yeah, going to do have it? To, it's like by like so, July, June one, right? Right. Yeah. So I remember I I hit Danny Ainge and um I'm like, hey, I just want to make sure you're going to execute the pick swap. And he's like, is that a story? He's like, you know, it was almost like no shit. Of course we're going to execute it. But <laughs> and I remember I I'm like, do I report it? Do I not report it? It's so obvious. I don't want to act like. But I think I did. But but yeah, like I guess it would have been a story if they decided not to. You know what? We're going to roll the dice and oh. let's see if just for fun, let's see if we can pick a better player in the twenties. Hey um, than, hey hey yeah. hey! It's a great point. Like we all remember the Anthony Carter trade where they forgot to pick up his player option, and yeah. then in the NBA we just tried to trade a player with the wrong name. There's no doubt like a pick swap execution, you know, kind of trigger date could be missed. We had on the board like a countdown, day 100, day 99, day 98, just to make sure we didn't miss that date. So it's a great point. Well, and also, you know, and just having experienced it, you know, for in two years back with regarding pick swaps, it's I think it gives when you're doing it, you have a sense of a little bit of arrogance because you think you're going to be good for a long time. And there is no way that – and Wes and I say it because the, the one pick swap we had with you guys in 2015, mm-hmm. I believe, we snuck in in the playoffs the la- last game of the year. And we wound up playing you guys in the first round. Yeah. And that pick went from either it was going to be 15, I think, mm-hmm. or it was going to be 10. Yeah. So – and that's the big difference there. And when you do a deal, you know, I think a lot of cha- has changed now. That you, you rare, I mean, a lot of teams, you know, you're looking short-sighted and you're thinking about, hey, I'm going to have Joe Johnson for the next three years. Hopefully I'll have Paul Pierce and, and Kevin Garnett for a couple, couple years. You're not really looking, uh, you know, five or six years down from, down the road from now. And it, it would be interesting, you know, when we get closer to what happens to the future of Anthony Davis, you know, and that's probably a summer story. That's something that New Orleans should look at. If they're looking to move Davis, it's not about 19 or 21. It's about, you know, 20, you know, 2023, 2024, 2025, when the likelihood of LeBron James won't be on a, a Laker roster or he'll be an old LeBron James. So I think you, it, it, it wasn't about, you know, maybe not about now, but it's about the future here. But when you do the deal, you don't think the pick swap is going to come back and, and bite you. You don't. I mean, and then you, you get on the court and you're like, oh, my God. You're looking at the standings every day. <laughs> Today's episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. It's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price that you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket-buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. 
I've got that SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. In fact, I just used it for a Broadway musical, Come From Away, at the Schoenfeld Theater for my family and I around Christmas, and the process could not have been any easier. And it'll be easy for you, too. My listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WOJ today. That's promo code WOJ, W-O-J, for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, licensed event, we have the tickets. Let me ask you this. When you do a pick way down the road in the future, you say it's something five years away, is there human nature in the front office to look around at each other and say, we may not even be here anyway, guys? And I guess that's where an owner steps in. And I know there is a sense of responsibility to be responsible and and you want to be there. But when you just put one down the road, I mean, is that human nature to say, we're not going to have to live with the consequences of this anyway? Yeah, and I would, it it also works the other direction. When you're, you know, when you're looking to sell a player to acquire a pick down the road. So not only just trading a pick way out in the future, but it creates a scenario where, you know what, I, I may be able to get a pick way out there because someone's thinking exactly the way you're saying, even though I'm acquiring a pick that I may not be able to use. I mean, this exact scenario happened with, uh, with us in Atlanta when we traded with Minnesota, Adrian Payne, less than six months after we drafted him, um, for a pick that actually was realized this past offseason with Kevin Herter with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I think that exact scenario played out. We were sitting there in 2014 saying, you know what, this is the right trade for our franchise. Adrian's not going to play for us. Minnesota had liked Adrian in the draft. I think it was like Levine was involved. Levine is who they, who they took, but they really liked Adrian Payne. We knew that. I remember approaching Flip Saunders at Gerd Camp out in Vegas early on to try to gauge if there was interest or not. And sure enough, we make the trade. We get the pick way out in the future. I'm no longer the GM, and the Atlanta Hawks are able to draft a nice player in Kevin Herter who's going to be good for them for a long time. So absolutely, Woj, you hit it on the head, but but it also creates an advantage maybe for a team trying to pick up those picks because the incumbent team may actually devalue them for the exact reason you're talking about. Well, yeah, I mean, for at least from my experience, you know, you know, the, the two or three years in Brooklyn that – you know, you kind of see the writing on the wall and you, in your, in your meeting and you, and you kind of say like, well, you know, it's going to be somebody else's mess to clean up. You know, I mean, that's the reality of it. And where you're kind of, you, you're fighting for your jobs, you're fighting for, you know, financial security down the road. And maybe you're doing a, you're trading a, um, you know, couple second round picks to, you know, get rid of Marquise Teague's contract to save luxury tax or Andre Karolinko and, and those picks turn into, you know, the 34th pick in the draft, um, because it's a, it's a cost savings or, you know, we got fortunate with, uh, when we moved Thaddeus, oh, we moved Kevin Garnett for Thaddeus Young where that actually helped us, you know, that Garnett contract, um, helps you. But yeah, I think you do look, you, you, you shouldn't where you're, you're saying, well, you know, we're not going to be here two years from now. Let's look at it right now and not worry about, you know, 2018 when we're in 2015. Here's something I want to ask you guys about. If we get into, you know, it's it's still hypothetical right now, but it, but it may be realized where Del Demson and the Pelicans have to, if at some point here Anthony Davis comes back to them and says, "Hey, I'm not going to resign next year," or 
I would prefer you trade me, you know, and, I, and I'm going to give you a team I'd like to go to or two teams or three teams, whatever it is. And I, we want to start that process. They're not there yet. Anthony hasn't done that. And we'll see how it plays out. But when you're told that you have a player that this is as big of a player, and I don't know if there's been a bigger player traded, potentially traded in the league. There's been some all stars, all NBA players. You know, Kawhi Leonard is a top five player. This might be a top three player, top two player, however you want to rate him. But what if we learned about the way these processes have gone? Like if, if you want to start back with, Masai Ujiri and Carmelo Anthony in Denver. Bobby, you were a part of that with the Nets. You guys were trying to be involved in that. And you look back at the package they got for Carmelo. They they got a great deal, especially given that this wasn't, looking back, this really wasn't a true franchise player. He never proved to be that. But as these situations have come, and you've seen how different teams have handled it, and what the marketplaces look like for players like this and, and all NBA players putting them out uh, on the trade block. What, what have we learned as this kind of idea has progressed, and, and how do you handle it in this day and age? Well, for one, I think the big thing we learned at is if you're going to move an all-star franchise-type player, you better do it during the summer because I just think it causes so much of a headache in season and a lot of disturbance within your locker room. Uh, we saw it this year with uh, Jimmy Butler that starting close to training camp and then, you know, going into the season. And, and that it was a huge distraction. The Carmelo situation was a huge distraction. Um, and that was eight years ago. And, and, but a credit to Denver where that, when Carmelo was traded, that team was still a playoff team and it was playing well. But I, I think what, I think the, the, the one thing that you, it, it showed the big, you know, these, some of these big names being moved. I think, I think San Antonio, how they were able to kind of, you know, in-house say, all right, this is what we are looking for. We've got to check the boxes here. We want an established all-star player that's got multiple years left on his contract. Uh, we want a first-round pick. We want a young player here. And I think I think you have to go down the line there and kind of check the box. And if you're New Orleans, are you looking to kind of – are we looking just for first-round picks from Boston? Are we looking for established players? That's kind of the, the, the path that I would recommend there. It's interesting because – you know, we've seen a couple of good examples of this. The LA Clippers recently with, and, you know, we were talking about San Antonio. And when you, you know, peel it all the way back, the organization has to sit there and say, okay, what are our goals and what are our realities? What would we like to achieve ideally? But maybe our setup isn't such that we can achieve our preferred goal. And San Antonio and the Clippers have been able to kind of trade franchise-level players while maintaining highly competitive teams. And in the Clippers' case, they were able to also maximize their financial position to be, you know, two max slots potentially this summer. So we've seen two recent examples of teams doing a fantastic job when historically these trades have been about elite draft picks, young players, you know, elite young players, and financial relief. Um, which is kind of what you saw the package was, but you know, for KG and Paul Pierce with Boston, right? It was just a, really just a ton of picks, but that allowed Boston, of course, to try to, to try to be good while rebuilding because they could have those picks potentially from Brooklyn. And so it, it's going to be really interesting because then when you specifically look at New Orleans, if they get to the point you're looking at, they probably don't have a realistic option like the Clippers or the Spurs have to try to be good 
while, you know, starting over without a player like Anthony Davis. And, Woj, as you say, Anthony Davis is by far the best player we're going to have seen traded maybe ever if it gets to that point. And the Clippers did it. The Clippers were proactive. They had they had just signed Blake Griffin to his extension. Yep. And it came out of nowhere. They put it together very quietly over a few days. There wasn't a situation where the player had asked out and he they were losing leverage. They did it probably when they had the maximum amount of leverage and decided just to get in front of it and, and do the deal and go in a different direction with their organization. I think this situation is part of it becomes too how much can you absorb as an organization if it goes public the daily news coverage of it and the impact that it has in your locker room, your organization, you know, it puts a tremendous amount of stress on your organization. Spurs went through it last year. It takes a lot out of everybody. And to me, a lot of it comes from ownership. What's the appetite ownership has to have a very prolonged situation that can get ugly, that can, where there could be a lot of acrimony. And I think to me, to right west you've got to take your direction from them and what they're willing to live with in that time span great point and i think there's two big things here first of all with the clippers as you're talking about they showed great decisiveness and vision and there's a you know kind of uh, a fundamental truth in the world of gming and i think this is any sport better too early than too late and that's exactly what the clippers pulled off they were decisive. They had obviously they had very clear goals, a great plan, and they did it a little maybe early. But because they did it early, they didn't do it too late. And so it, it was a fantastic setup and execution by the Clips. And I would agree, I would think the Spurs did a fantastic job, but as Toronto has in that in that trade, that that's a great one that works for both. And then talking about the voice of a player and the social media and the media coverage, there is no doubt that this has changed the way franchises have to function because every player has a voice. There's so much information shared right now through you know, social media and Twitter, and it's just changed the, the landscape, and it makes it you know, much more challenging to navigate when there's so much information being shared constantly. Guys, is there any case to be made for the Pelicans? Can you make a case at all where they potentially would say to Anthony Davis, we're keeping you. You're going to play here next season. We'll take the cap space. Listen, that five-year Supermax is on the table. It's not going anywhere. We're going to go out this summer. We're going to improve this team in every way we can. And we're going to ride this out with you. No one's done that. The Spurs could have. They didn't. Is there any case to make with that, especially if you know the player and you think, you know, I think we have a chance to change his mind or we think deep down maybe he does want to be here and we just have to get better or can you just not risk that guy walking out the door the way Kevin Durant walked out the door in Oklahoma City? So this is the question between do you just want to go through a natural rebuild or do you want to accelerate the rebuild and, you know, build up your asset pool? And, you know, I was super fortunate guys to work for Rick Sund and or actually work with Rick Sund in Atlanta for a good number of years and he would always say that you know every NBA player has natural stages to their career and of course we have to preface this by saying every player always wants to win but there's like a natural transition in a career and first they want to kind of establish they belong in the NBA then they want a defined role then they want to get paid 
Then they want accolades. They want all-stars. They want MVPs. And then it really becomes a focus about legacy and championships. And that's just the natural evolution of a player. And I think it's, you know, Rick's been in the league for 40 years, and he's seen this over the time. And he, he like, I would say, did a great job of helping us understand this as part of the NBA. And it's so interesting because Anthony Davis almost said this in a recent article, that he's looking towards legacy and looking towards championship. And when players reach that, that third contract, where it's the first time they have a chance to choose, that's why we see, you know, KD and Paul George and Jimmy Butler and Gordon Hayward and Kyrie and Al Horford. That's why these guys move teams. So is there a case to be made? Of course there's a case to be made for New Orleans where they can just, you know, pay them the most and ride it out. But when you really zoom, zoom out and you say, okay, what's the best thing for the franchise? If he's going to communicate that to us in a respectful way that he, he wants a chance to move on, then they probably end up moving him, and hopefully that they're able to get a package to where they can start the rebuild the way Boston, Philly, Denver, who you mentioned has done a fantastic job, Oklahoma City in the future, Utah. There's plenty of examples of super successful rebuilds that just really just comes down to execution. So I think this could be a great thing for New Orleans if Anthony decides to leave. It gives him a chance to maybe redefine and rebuild a team that could be really good for a long time going forward. I think it's going to depend on what his answer to the question is and how he, him or his agent, Rich Paul, phrases it, where you know, we all know that you know, there's going to be $239, $240 million on the table this summer. Does Davis say, I will not sign this offer? until I see what the roster will look like. Remember, he's still going to be super max eligible in 2020 when he's a free agent because he's going to hit it in, um, you know, in, in two out of the three years. Or is he going to say, you know what, I, I think I've done enough. Uh, I can't do any more here. I want out. And I think that kind of will, will certainly shape it. Now, if he goes the, the first route, does that give Dell Demps the green light to kind of go out this summer? As I said, you know they're going to have money to spend, but they won't have Mirtich or Julius Randle and and players like that. But there's never been a there's the track record from 2016 when they had the money to spend was Solomon Hill, Etwan Moore, and Langston Galloway. So there's there's never been a there's not a, a an example there where a big time free agent is willing to to, to go there. But I I think it's it's a hard proposition to ride it out. Even if Davis says, I won't know until the following summer, until I see where this roster is. Because remember, this, this New Orleans team is not like Oklahoma City. There is no Russell Westbrook kind of waiting in the, in the wings there. Uh, although Drew Holiday is a good player. You know, there's not a, um, a Victor Oladipo that they got in a, in a trade or, you know, there's not a Serge Ibaka that they can trade for a Victor Oladipo or a Domus Sabonis. Um, so the infrastructure outside of Davis is just not, Great if you let it play out for the year, and then he walks for nothing. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by Simply Safe. We all put off doing things that we know we need to do. I mean, we know we need to organize the garage or mow the lawn, but something always seems to get in the way. And it's funny how home security can be like that too. You know, it's a good idea. Protect your family with Simply Safe home security. Simply Safe believes nothing should come between you and protecting your home. So they've gotten rid of the reasons not to get home security. There's no contract ever, no price markups from any middleman, and no installation windows. Who has time for that? Most importantly, their system is engineered to do one thing brilliantly, protect. So if a storm takes out your power, 
Simply Safe is ready. If an intruder cuts your phone line, Simply Safe is ready. If they destroy your keypad or siren, Simply Safe will still get you the help you need. Maybe it's overkill. Maybe it's the last thing you want to think about when you're making so many other changes and resolutions. But with Simply Safe, you're always ready. So get a jump on protecting your home at simplysafe.com slash woge. No time like the present, right? That's simplysafe.com slash woge, W-O-J, to protect your home and family today. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash woge to protect your home and family today. Simplysafe.com slash woge. You know, the whole idea in the new CBA had been with the Supermax contract that it was going to be a great benefit to smaller mid-market teams that you were offering players this overwhelming financial option to stay where they were. Uh, they could make be guaranteed so much more money uh, would be available up to them in free agency. Even if they were traded and re-signed with that team, they, they couldn't get this, uh, necessarily get the Supermax. So the next CBA is several years away still. Would your thought be, and, and I hear it around the league a lot, and I, when the last CBA was done, I had a, several general managers say to me, smaller market, mid-market GM, say, we didn't go far enough. We need to make it even more. If we're going to balance out this league, if we're going to allow the small markets to be able to compete, we've got to make it even more punitive for a player to leave. We just have to have more financial incentive to stay versus leaving. Do you think that's where we'll be with the next CBA? Because what we've seen so far, you know, the Supermax didn't keep Paul George in Indiana. It didn't keep Kawhi Leonard in San Antonio. You know, Jimmy Butler could have stayed this summer, signed for more money than he'll be able to get somewhere else in Minnesota, potentially. So uh, we can go down the list of players who said, nope, I'm willing to take the hit. I want to go somewhere else. What might look different the next time the owners sit down with the players? You know, it's it's going to be really interesting. The the internal, yeah, I would, we would love to be a fly on the wall of the internal debate amongst the owners and the the mega markets, and then the mid markets, and even really the small markets, because th- there's not a just natural easy solution to this. You know, the player has the right to choose at some point in time. And I think you guys talked about this a while ago, Woj, or maybe it was a separate conversation we had just about the reasons free agents change teams. And as the money gets bigger, the players, I I think, are able to maybe prioritize the environment and the roster, you know, over money because the life-changing money becomes, you know, the difference between, you know, 35 and 38 million, like 40 and, you know, 43 million. I just not sure that, that that financial incentive is enough, and I don't know that we can create enough of a financial incentive because every player absolutely deserves the right to choose. The best solution to this, and I think that we've heard this around the NBA, is build a 